We're and back. We're back. Two. I don't know if this is the first uh, episode or what, but guess who we have on the episode today? Nick, you want to take a guess? Um, it's me. Well, yeah, it is you, but guess who else? You. Okay, this is getting out of control. Last guess. LeBron. No, but close enough. We have Lakers coaching associate Max Hooper. He, if you Google him, he is known for taking only threes in his senior year of college at Oakland. Um, but more recently, he's worked with the Lakers coaching staff, which is pretty awesome. Wow, that is pretty awesome. You just so interviewed he, he him. pretty much. That's true, yeah, but it's still awesome. I'm still very <laughs> excited that we got to interview him. He was an awesome guest. He had so many great stories. That's true. He did have a lot of fun stories. He told us so much about LeBron taking only threes while he was in college. Like That's that's very impressive. 257, yeah, he, to be exact. He, uh, he corrected me. I said 250, and he said, excuse me, sir, 257. Hey, I mean, I would have too. That's that's a very impressive stat. Absolutely, absolutely, it's incredible. You need to get it right. Excuse me. Sir. I'm. Em- I was embarrassed for you. <laughs> okay, okay. But besides that, Max tells us about his uh, his transition from college to G League to professional teams, coaching, and then to the Lakers where he's at right now. And he also gives us a little inside peek on how um, how tryouts go um, with some teams, which is which is pretty interesting. Yeah, what was your favorite part? Yeah, just hearing hearing that inside scoop of kind of what goes on inside like the Lakers organization and then hearing what goes on in in like the pre-draft tryouts and stuff like that cuz we haven't really had a chance to to see kind of or hear on the inside of that. So that was that was pretty awesome. And just all the stories of all the players he knows and has had the opportunity to work with cuz he he knows a lot of people. That's true. And more importantly, as a shooter himself, Max tells us who he thinks is the greatest shooter of all time. And if you want to find that out, you got to listen to the episode. Without further ado, Nick, play that saxophone. Ever heard of a cardboard box seat? It's, it's kind of like an armchair quarterback. It's a word we made up, and we think it fits our views of basketball pretty well. Our made-up phrase means that we think and act like a manager of a team, or even the commissioner some days. But we don't exactly have the bank account to follow up on our team-owning aspirations. We've got ideas and opinions about the league that change when we come up with new ones, and we may have some funny jokes. The important thing is we love basketball, but we also realize there are plenty of important people who make what you see on the court run smoothly. There are a lot of people who work behind the scenes to make the league the best it can be. And we like to showcase them because they don't always get the credit they deserve. If you're looking for great interviews and bad jokes, you've come to the right place. So come watch with us from our cardboard box seats. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cardboard Box Seats. Nick's here. Gabe's here. And today we have a very special guest, Max Hooper. Hey Max. How's it going, uh, Gabe and Nick? Thanks, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. It's an honor to have you. So do you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about yourselves, like who you are and, and what exactly you do in the game of basketball? Definitely. You know, me, I'm a, been a, you know, a, I would say a basketball lifer to date, you know, um, been a player all my life. Um, high school, college, played professionally, um, graduated from Oakland University in 2016, 
and then played professionally in Canada and in the G League as well. And then just decided to switch over to the coaching side of things about two uh, two seasons ago. And then um, this past year, I spent the year as a coaching associate for the Los Angeles Lakers. So, um, been a been quite a journey to date, and have I feel like I have quite a few uh, you know different uh, perspectives and experiences on the game based on the, the path that I've taken. But now my goal is you know to continue to climb the coaching ranks as best I can and keep pursuing that um, the same way I did as pursuing my my path as a player. So that's who I am. A little bit about me. Maybe we can dig into it a little more specifically later, but that's uh, the short version of you know my background and who I am. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned you bring a different perspective to the game just based on your, your playing history and where you've come from, essentially. Can you expand a little bit on that? For sure. I just mean um, over the course of the years, um, when I was in high school, I played at two different high schools uh, in Northern California and Southern California. I played at Modern Day and then after that, I graduated high school. I decided to do a postgraduate year and went to Brewster Academy in New Hampshire, a really well-known prep school. And was well-traveled in college as well. Uh, started off with a year at Harvard and then just wasn't the right fit. So I transferred to St. John's, spent two years at St. John's, and ultimately graduated from there and did a grad, uh, grad tra- two grad transfer years at uh, Oakland University. So that's kind of just what I mean, you know, really bounced around and experienced a lot of different um, coaching styles, a lot of different playing styles. And then now as a coach, I've already coached um, one year at Brewster Academy and one year with the Los Angeles Lakers. So I just feel like I, um, you know, I've been around a lot of different philosophies and ideologies and I've just kind of taken bits and pieces from each of, each of the ones that I thought were positive along the way. Yeah, so bouncing around definitely probably, I'm sure, it helps make you a great coach that you are today, getting all that influence from from other other coaches who who I'm sure just have a little bit difference here and there and and can kind of you can use take bits and pieces and, and mold into to a great coach. We know that definitely's got to help. When you were at all all three of those schools, you kind of did you have like a starting role at at each um, school you went to in college? No, 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 no. Um, at Harvard, I uh, you know I was a freshman. I was we had an experienced team, a veteran team, and I really really wasn't in the mix so much um as far as playing time i had to struggle struggle through that season you know it was very difficult going from when you when you're a high school athlete and you're you know you're pretty good you're getting recruited to division one schools you you are playing time is something you take for granted because you're always in the game you're always getting a chance to play and then you get to college and for a lot of these these guys they uh you know that comes to a screeching halt you know you got to fight for these minutes it's it become practice becomes a war zone you got to um you know, show your coach that you deserve those minutes, and I wasn't able to do that as a freshman. I, I didn't, I wasn't in the rotation at all, so it was really frustrating for me, really difficult time. But I, you know, I persevered and kept working on my game. And then at St. John's, I arrived there and had to sit out a year, so that was even that was a challenge as well. I had to sit out for a whole season, but worked uh, worked my butt off during my redshirt year, tried to improve as much as I can to be ready for when I got my my opportunity. And when I finally got to play there. Still had a limited role, but was in the rotation. Played about nine minutes a game, up and down, inconsistent minutes. And then uh, I arrived at Oakland, and uh, my my role expanded quite a bit. Ultimately, my senior season, I, I was I wasn't starting, but I was a six man. Um, but I played starter minutes, and ultimately was Horizon League six man of the year. So it was a slow climb, a slow grind to ultimately carve out my role as a college player, but. It was uh, it was all about perseverance and believing in myself and continuing to work on my game, even though 
things weren't going exactly how I wanted them initially, but you know, in the end, I feel like I, I maxed out what I had and I gave it all I could, so I really have no regrets. So the first thing uh, that pops up when we Googled you, Max Hooper, is an article stating that your senior season, you didn't try a single two-pointer. Ended up shooting somewhere around 250 three-pointers. <clears throat> was this like deliberate, or is this just a stat that took over your play style? Yeah, 257. 257, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, for, for people who knew me throughout my high school career and early in my college career, you know, they, they knew I was a three-point specialist. I always, you know, that's what I brought to the table. I prided myself in that, worked extremely hard on that, studied the greats at it, studied J.J. Reddick, Kyle Korver, Anthony Morrow, uh, Ray Allen, et cetera, et cetera, studied all those guys and tried to emulate those that style of play as best I could. You know, I think before I got to my senior season, you know, people, if you were to ask teammates or coaches they'd say you know i probably shot 90 percent of my shots were from the occasional fast break the occasional um curl for a for a layup the occasional back door these sorts of things you know they would have got caused me to get the two-pointer but when it came to my senior season pretty much i was you know a lot of people would reach out on social media and kind of accuse me oh he's you know just chasing attention or just doing this it's a circus show like but for me it was like this is my role in this team. You know, I didn't happen to step on the line. I wouldn't say I was the quickest of defenders, so I wasn't exactly getting in passing lanes and getting runouts. And my teammates and coaches knew that was my job. So every play that was ran for me was, you know, some type of screening action that was leading for me to get to get a three. And I played with Kate Felder, ultimately, who was a second round pick for the Cavs and led the nation in scoring. And, uh, or excuse me, was second in scoring and first in assists. So, I just think, you know, if I didn't have a clean shot from the three and I couldn't create a quick shot, then my job was to swing it back to him. You know, he's our, he's our, he's the engine that made us go, and he, he was our professional straight from college to the NBA. So I feel like that that whole story was it was crazy, but at the end of the day, I was just playing my role, and it, a lot of things had to happen right for for me to not ever step on the line or be forced into taking a, a two pointer. With the way the league is right now, with most of the points coming exclusively from the three-point line we've seen people have an open layup and kick it out to the open three did that kind of make you mad knowing like you did this in college and all these people were calling you out and saying like you were it was like a circus show like you said like how how did that make you feel knowing like the league is where it is today essentially yeah i don't i don't get bothered by noise you know there's always going to be noise for me i just kind of like looked at the numbers and it was like well i'm shooting almost eight threes a game at 45 percent like that's helping the team no matter how you slice it so for me it was never never i never really read into the noise too much but um you know the nba the nba teams and the that whether it's the analytics departments or the and then ultimately it trickled down to the coaching staff you know they understand the three-pointer is a weapon because the simple it's simple it's three is greater than two and you can shoot those threes at a lower percentage and still yield more points per possession so you know, it's just simple math that it explains why those shots are so effective and so helpful for creating a, a, an a efficient offense. But it didn't uh, it didn't upset me or anything like that. I just think it's a, a smart way to play the game. And then the beauty of the way my Oakland team functioned was it created uh, other opportunities for, for other players on my team. So the Kate Felders of the world, Jalen Hayes was another um, – all league player I played with, like I feel like he had so much more room to operate as a post player because of the attention that the 
that my three point shot created. And then Kay Felder, he's he's he said it in interviews, he said on record, like none of this would have been possible without Max's floor space and then threat of a shot. Because then he could really go one on one, and defenses couldn't concentrate solely on stopping him. So I think that being a shooter creates so many opportunities for other players on the team, and it's up to a great coach to put that system together. So out of college, you declared for the draft, and you ultimately went undrafted. But you did get a shot to prove yourself in like summer league and on G League teams. Tell us about your draft night and how that transitioned into those league teams and how you were motivated. Yeah, I mean, draft night, I, I wasn't expecting to get drafted, but, you know, I was fortunate enough based on the work I put in and the body of work that I created in college, I was able to participate in a couple of pre-draft workouts. I believe I worked out for five teams and got to show my skills there and then got to, my first year coming out of school, I played with the uh, Thunder in Summer League, but, you know, didn't get much of an opportunity there, but I just kind of kept pushing and went to the G League draft and was a first-round pick. Um, for the Westchester Knicks in the G League draft, had my opportunity there, and you know the G League is it can be hit or miss, and just didn't have a, a great go at it there. But you know I fulfilled my dream of being a pro basketball player. Do I wish I was playing the NBA today? Do I wish I had that chance? Absolutely. But you know I, I like I said before, I really gave it everything I had, have no regrets with it, and um, you know there was never a day where I was like, man, I could have done more. I wish I would have shot a couple more shots, practiced a little harder, lifting a couple more weights or anything like that. I, I gave it everything I had. So I was frustrated with the results when I, you know, didn't carve out a, a long career. But I um, have to be satisfied with that because I gave it everything I, I had. So you said you worked out with a couple teams. What does that kind of look like going into the facilities with um, different organizations and kind of working out with them? Yeah, the, the pre-draft workout process, I mean, who knows what it'll look like nowadays going forward but uh hopefully we can we can get back to that but from my experience and i actually last summer i um i was living in boston and got to volunteer and help out with some of the boston celtics pre-draft workout so i can just speak on that as well for me it was you know you get a call from your agent and uh you know he'll say hey on xyz day you're gonna go work out for this team i worked out for the uh warriors the kings jazz the Wizards and the Pistons. So you you fly in the night before. Usually a staff member will pick you up at the airport. Probably have a, a dinner with um, the, the group that you'll be working out with the next the next day. Usually six guys is what it is. For me, I, I knew a lot of guys I had worked out with, whether it's playing against them in high school or college. So you you know, you, you get, to get to know them and get to sit down with some of the staff members of the organization and get to know them. They connect with you. They're, they're trying to gather info on all the players. They're trying to learn about them, trying to get to know, you know, what makes this guy tick, what, how, how can this guy's skills translate, um, all those sorts of things. And then you show up at the workout, you do um, athletic performance testing, so it's vertical jump, speed and agility, sprint uh, testing. They measure your height, weight, any sort of a relevant measure that they can put on a player and help them compare while they're sifting you know you got to think it from from the team perspective they're sifting through hundreds of prospects that they want to consider for either for the draft for the g league for summer league you know they're constantly developing this database of players so it's a it's a non-stop job but then the workouts are pretty straightforward to be honest it's usually about an hour hour and a half get warmed up with some shooting some skill work and then it's playing. It's three on three. It's two on two. It's one on one. 
um, and in different different capacities. Full court, half court, only can dribble two times when you catch it, only on this side of the court, all different sorts of things. just depends on the team and what they want to do. And then um, that was my experience as a player. And then the same thing when I helped out with the Celtics in their pre-draft workouts, I was in there. Um, sometimes as a, as a rebounder, sometimes as a practice player, so they could do five on five, sometimes as a, um, you know, whatever, whatever it called for. And then a lot of the teams love to do uh, the conditioning test at the end of the workout. So it's as many sprints as you can get full court down and back in three minutes, just to test a, a guy's willpower and how mentally tough they are and how physically uh, fit they are. So that's pretty much how I would summarize the workouts. You know, they can vary from team to team, but generally speaking, they're, you know, quick, short, competitive, and uh, they just want to see what you got uh, live rather than in the team setting that they've seen you play in your during your college season. So, how did the door open so that you could work with the Lakers? That was a really, really great um, opportunity for me because uh, working in basketball is all about connections. It's all about who you know and who, who respects you and who has a, um, you know, who's willing to vouch for you. So, a guy on the Lakers coaching staff is Miles Simon, um, a former NBA player, former player at University of Arizona, and um, current Lakers assistant coach. Miles is actually a guy who, when I was doing my skill development in high school and in college, I would work out with him all the time in the summer as a as a player in, in uh, Orange County in Southern California. So Miles and I have been close over the years and uh, remained close friends throughout the whole time. And he said, you know, when I told him I wanted to get in coaching. He said, hey, we, we're, we're going to have this opening, and uh, really, it's just he's the one who gave me my break, you know, gave me my break to help get me in the NBA. So, very, very grateful for that and appreciative of him and his uh, confidence in me. But, like I said, it's all about, you know, who you know and who has that respect for you. So, it's always smart to keep those relationships and be genuine with people because you never know who can help you give, give you your break. So, what all went into it uh, working with the Lakers when you were there? Um, my role was a coaching associate, and uh, from the outside, that's kind of an ambiguous role, you know, you, uh, ambiguous title, excuse me, and it's hard to tell exactly what that role is, but the the role is you're, you're in the video room, cutting up film, it's a dual role though, because you're, you're cutting up film, doing things on the computer to help the coaching staff, you know, learn, prepare for opponents, um, learn about your, learn about our team, but then uh, the other, the other part of the role is on the court, assisting with workouts, for me as a former player, a lot of it was being a practice player, um, given we had a veteran team, so guys are not practicing as much, and sometimes it was my job to hop in scrimmages and play against guys uh, live, like I said, assist with workouts, rebound, play defense. So it was, a, it was a really, really great opportunity to learn the video skills that are necessary to analyze the game and break things down, but then also to learn the, you know, get more familiar with the, the way NBA skill development works on the court. So you said you serve as a practice player. The, the question that's burning in my mind is: Do you still do you still got it, Max Hooper? Can you run with them? I mean, I, I give I give him everything I got. Um, as far as shot making, you know, uh, one of the one of the other video guys and I we put together like a little highlight reel of all my shots made in practice this year, <laughs> just as a joke. But. Um, I mean, defensively, it's tough. You know, these guys are the best athletes in the world. Extremely quick, extremely explosive, and you know, I I, I, I feel like I can give them a look. But obviously, I'm not an NBA level uh, defender. 
but as far as shooting, you know, when they, for example, when we were preparing for the Houston Rockets, they had me out there as uh, I think it was PJ Tucker, and just like if they left me in the corner, it was you could pretty much count on it. So that that was, but that was my role, you know, that was my job to give them a look and like let them know like you can't leave in the corner, otherwise PJ Tucker's going to knock it down. That was a pretty cool part of the role, and 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 like it's fun to do that, but it's also fun knowing that that's making an impact and helping. And that, that was my way to help, you know, in my first year where I'm getting my foot in the door and still learning and grinding and trying to grow. But if I can help the team this way, absolutely, I'm more than happy to do it. So are, are you out there taking charges from LeBron? Probably not the best idea. <laughs> um, you know, when it's the best player in the world, you know, if, if he has an opportunity to go to the basket, it's not my job to step in the way and <laughs> cause a potential injury. You know, I'm going to let him go. Just, just go ahead and let, let him take that basket. You know, that's, that's good knowing, is knowing your place. You know, knowing your place. <laughs> being known as a shooter. Uh, did you ever help at all with any of their shooting? Were you asked kind of to fill that role as well? Honestly, at this point, I was not. My role was more of a supportive role, um, facilitating role. Like I wasn't, I wasn't a coach. You know, so it wasn't really my place to offer that guidance um i think that's a role that i would love to grow into ultimately um over these these next couple of years in the nba as it gets as i gain more um you know respect and confidence in me to, to help get players better but when you first start out you're really just whatever the coaches ask for your job is to to help them do that so you know if the coaches are like we need to get we need to get Avery bradley better at ball handling then you know the coach conducts the drill and it's my job to you know make sure he has the ball make sure he has whatever if i'm playing defense on him whatever i'm just following orders pretty much so what are some obstacles you kind of faced in your position with the lakers the nba is all about putting your time in paying your dues earning respect over the course of time so i wouldn't say there's obstacles really the really the biggest thing i have working against me is that i've only worked in the nba for one year um but you know you can't really hold that against someone i'm just this is my path and this is where i'm at I'm going to continue to climb, continue to have a, a hungry mindset, a growth mindset, a willingness to learn and to keep picking things up as I go and, you know, hopefully uh, continue to progress my career. But I wouldn't say there's any there's any obstacles. I just look at every day as an opportunity to learn and learn from, I mean, an incredible coaching staff. We had, you know, learning from Jason Kidd, Frank, Lionel Hollins. That's three guys who have previously been NBA head coaches on a staff and then learning from like you said, like I, I brought up Miles Simon before, a good friend of mine, Phil Handy, incredible skill development guy, as well as the rest of our staff, who's some of them are younger, might not be in the spotlight as much as those guys, but are still extremely great basketball minds. And if I can continue to pick up uh, the breadcrumbs that these guys are lying down, I think uh, I think I could, you know, continue to progress pretty well. Are you going to travel with the team to Orlando? At this point, no. It's a pretty limited travel party. And um, during the year, I was not on every road trip. I got the opportunity to go on some road trips, but I was not on every road trip. So at this point, I will not be uh, joining the team, but I'll be at home on the laptop, uh, you know, grinding away on film work and then sending it off. So I'm fortunate that I still have the opportunity to do that and work remotely and continue to make an impact as best I can, even though it's uh, not the, the most ideal of circumstances at this point. So just kind of like a follow-up of that question, um, is, and you may not be able to answer this just based on like contracts and stuff like that, but is this a position that you are, uh, you've been offered for the next season as well, or can you not talk about that? No, it's, it's unclear at this point, you know, uh, the NBA is uh, constantly changing uncertainty, so uh, 
I'm just what I try to focus on is just what I'm doing right now. And, um, you know, we're fortunate enough to be restarting the season, it looks like, despite these challenges. So as long as I have a position, I'm going to do, do the best I can at that position and then worry about what comes next later on. So, you know, for me, it's just if I can do what I what I need to do day by day, then I think everything will take care of itself in the future. Um, but the NBA is extremely competitive and there's a lot of people always wanting opportunities coming behind you so you gotta you gotta stay hungry and motivated and keep doing your job to the best of your abilities so can you kind of give us like an inside look um with the lakers with everything from starting the season to maybe like starting practice to going into that bubble in orlando have you kind of been in the know of, of what's going on about it all yeah yeah for sure i mean like I'll start it from from when I started on. I think my I started my job on September third. Um, we showed up and that was before training camp. So what we were doing at first was we were uh, running off season workouts. So it's really just individual skill development workouts, or maybe one or two guys, eight a.m. to two p.m. You're on the court, you're grinding, you're getting guys better, working on individual skills, nothing team related. We got to get Avery Bradley better at ball handling, shooting. We got to get Anthony Davis better at his post moves. We got we got to help. Um, Jared Dudley with his with his shooting in the situations he's going to shoot. So that was there's that phase where you're doing individual workouts. Then as you get into um, training camp, everything shifts towards getting team the team ready to play. So it's installing the the offense and defense that Frank Vogel believes will give us the best t- chance to win. And then training camp is kind of a whirlwind because you're doing two day practices and and in the role that I was in, you're just you're learning because it was my first year and you don't know. You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, but you're um, picking up so much knowledge as you go along. And then once you get into the meat of the season, as a video guy, you're always five steps ahead of the coaching staff. So the way it works is if we play a team five games from now, I'm watching the five games that they play leading up to our game. So we're always prepared. We're always knowing what plays. For example, let's say we're playing the, the Knicks five games away. Then I'm watching the Knicks five games though against the five opponents they played before us, studying it, breaking it down, sending that to the coaches so that they they have the information they need to create their scouting reports and decide how they want to strategize against those teams. And it's a uh, if you can imagine eighty two times of doing that, it uh, it gets a little it gets a little taxing. And but at the end of the day, you're grateful to be breaking down basketball film for for, for a job and. Um, to be working for an incredible organization like the Lakers, and it's a it's a blessing, it's a dream come true um, to be able to do that, and it's a really an incredible learning opportunity because uh, I know a lot of people would sacrifice a lot to be in the position I'm in. So extremely grateful to be doing it, and it was a uh, quite the ride. You know, we're waiting to ride it through the through into the playoffs, but it came to a screeching halt. But hopefully, we can get restarted and get back to it now. It definitely sounds like a dream job for sure. Does it ever go to your head that you're working for working with some of the most well-known players and for one of the most like prestigious NBA teams? Yeah, I mean, for me, I uh, you try to keep it in perspective, especially when when we were in person and we were in the facility. When you walk in the facility, I don't know if you guys have seen pictures or ever been in the facility, but it's uh, pretty inspiring because you got the the championship trophies up above the court. You have the retired jerseys all on the wall. So it's Shaq, Chamberlain, 
Abdul Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's the greats of the greats. And it's it's super inspiring to see all that history. And then you walk in the gym and you show up at work and uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis come to the same place of work as you. So that's pretty pretty cool, pretty incredible. But for me, my goal was just to get a crack in the league anywhere. You know, I was interviewing for other teams and I didn't I didn't really have I didn't care where it was. I just wanted to get in. But when it, when it was the Lakers, it was, you know, like you said, one of the best brands, arguably the best brand in, in all of basketball worldwide, I would say. Just to get that as my first opportunity, it's it's incredible and you know, I've, I've probably said this five times already, but just extremely grateful for it. So when you're working with Brewster Academy, and, and I know I saw on your, your Instagram that people can DM you their shots, and you, you'll you'll work on their shots, analyzing it and stuff like that. What is kind of like your main coaching philosophy um, when you do that? Definitely. See the, see, the thing about Brewster, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Brewster Academy, but one of the best prep programs in the country. We just had Jalen a few come straight I coached Jim LeCue at Brewster and then the next year he's playing for the Phoenix Suns 17 NBA players in the last 10 years so it's an incredible program and I actually played at Brewster Academy in high school so it's uh, Jason Smith my head coach there was you know instrumental in my playing career and then has been a huge advocate for me with my uh, coaching career so going there I just I just knew I wanted to get started and I, I just hit the hit the ground running there I was working with Jim LeCue Terrence Clark, who's headed Kentucky, Kai Jones, Alonzo Gaffney, Anthony Walker, all guys who went to high majors, uh, Joel Brown, um, Jamal Mashburn Jr. So that was the team I got to work with, incredible talent. But for me, I just took a, the, the same approach I take as a player, you know, work your butt off, get in the gym, invest in yourself. And for me, instead of getting at 500 shots a day, it was, hey, how can I help these guys get better? So I was in the gym from 6 a.m., you know, and then we would be in the gym till 10 p.m. Sometimes working on a skill development, and then I uh, found a way to get get the games from uh, Jason Smith of our opponents, and started working on breaking opponent film down. And for me, it was really just a, getting my start at coaching and getting my first crack at it. But um, that's where my philosophy, you know, began to develop. And I took my philosophy as a player: hey, work your butt off every day, brick by brick, step by step, and try to teach these dudes who are extremely talented how to really work and improve and help them understand that the guys who make it at the highest level are the ones who have the extreme gifts and extreme talent, but then couple it with an incredible work ethic. And that's what I saw from LeBron, Anthony Davis, you know, all these guys on the Lakers. And I tried to uh, impart that on, you know, the most talented players at Brewster. And then it's funny, I you know, the Phoenix Suns play the Los Angeles Lakers and Jalen McHugh walks in the gym and uh, I was like, a year ago, me and you were working out at, in New Hampshire at Brewster Academy, and now here we are, here we are in the Staples Center. So that was a pretty cool <laughs> moment That's to, awesome. uh, you know, 10 months later to take that. And he's like, man, you were right. You were right. You just got to do it every day. You got to clock in. You got to put your time in. So I knew I was putting it down and giving them the knowledge, but I, I hope they were all uh, receptive to it. But it was, like I said, it was an incredible opportunity. Uh, grateful for Jason Smith for letting me letting me come coach there. So, do you get a lot of people messaging you on Instagram too about their shots? Right, right. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't. No, you're good. You're um, good. Yeah, uh, that's that, that's a cool, you know, a pretty cool thing about social media these days. You can uh, you can really reach and connect with so many different people, and um, 
the Lakers season definitely was my I, that's my priority. Doing a little, um, you know, online coaching on the side is it's, it's pretty cool because uh, the, the social social media is such a platform where you can reconnect with people worldwide. And what I mean, I just you know, pretty simple. I do it pretty simple. I have a kid send me a video of his shot from multiple angles, and I'll write up a little report and tell him my thoughts and give them suggestions on what they can improve and it's pretty cool to be able to do that and um just a little thing i do on the side but it, i think it makes an impact because constantly get feedback from kids saying hey, hey thanks for the help you really helped me a lot um and then i try to make an ongoing conversation and be as helpful as i can going forward even if it's not just shooting advice just advice in general hey with my coach is telling me this what do you think or just try to be an advocate for for anyone who wants to invest in themselves and succeed in the game so I might be uh, sending you a message then so I can try and beat Gabe <laughs> in basketball. I can beat I him on 2K, I but I just can't beat him hey. in real life. Hey, because there's always room to grow, right? There's yeah. always room for improvement. There's a lot of room for improvement with Nick. <laughs> All right, so now at the end of the uh, the podcast, we like to put our guests on the spot and ask them what we, in, what we dub hot seat questions. Um, and let's do it. All right, here we go. Just the whole idea is for you to answer as quickly as you can, the little ums or uhs as, as possible. I'm just kidding. You can uh and um, I don't care. All right, first question. Toughest player you've ever played against? Well, in a real game or in a practice? You, up to you. Practice, that's easy because it's LeBron this year. <laughs> did, he hit, did he hit you with that little jab step and then... Uh, I, I I don't think I guarded him, um, but I, in drills I definitely guarded him. But in scrimmages, I uh, I don't think it was optimal to have me switched onto LeBron. You know, I tried to avoid that. You know, when I'm scrimmaging and like all the guys are playing, I'm just trying to you know run corner to corner. You want to swing it to me for a spot up three, I'll bear it. Other than that, I'm just trying to stay out the way basically. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, LeBron for sure. But uh, just one that comes to mind. And um, and maybe not necessarily that he was the best player, but when we played um, Michigan State my senior year, they were the number one team in the country. And Bryn Forbes, who's the starting shooting guard for the, the uh, Spurs now, he lit us up. I think he had eight threes against us, and we put any you know all types of defenders on him, and he was just pretty much running off screens and lighting everyone up, and ultimately carried them to the victory in overtime against us, which would have been a Huge win for our program, Oakland beating the number one team in the country. But it was a uh, that night. Bryn Forbes was was just about as good as it gets. Man, Bryn Forbes is not a name I thought you would say, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. All right, favorite teammate and why? Oh, Kay Felder, no question, because it was the it was a match made in heaven. He was a guy who extremely explosive, could get in the lane at any time, could score whenever he wanted, but also wanted to get other people involved so like i said i think i may have misquoted i think he was fourth in scoring and first in assist but it was or it could have been second i'd have to double check my stats but this is a dude who could he could have if he if he didn't want to get any assists he probably could have averaged 35 points a game um he was that unstoppable you know 39 points against um washington 37 against michigan state 30 against virginia average i think 25 and then um but for me, why I like playing with him because he got me the damn ball. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he got me shots. Like, he he would always, like, um, pretty much was always had his head up and was looking for me. There's there's clips that you can pull up of him 
being under the rim. This is the second leading scorer in the nation. Has a wide open layup. He's kicking it to the corner for, for a three for me. Um, so he had ultimate confidence in me. He would cuss me out if I if I didn't shoot it when he threw it to me. And um, he's uh, as a shooter, he's a uh, a point guard who you love to play with because he's just you know he he. Uh, anytime I was open, anytime I was coming off the screen, he was uh, getting me the ball, and he would uh, you know he he'd whisper in my ear like, "Yo, I'm about to get you a shot right here," and then boom, sure enough, give me a shot, knock it down. So. It was a match made in heaven, and um, I was grateful for the two seasons I got to play with him. All right, as a shooter, who is your uh, who's your favorite player that you admire the admire the most? Yeah, growing up, it was uh, well, it was two: it was JJ Redick and Kyle Korver. JJ Redick at Duke, and then when I would start to watch more NBA, it was Kyle Korver early in his career with the Sixers, Jazz, Bulls. I just saw, you know, myself at that when I was young. J.J. Redick, you know, he was 6'4 when I was young in 6th, 7th grade. I was like, man, I hope I can get tall enough, you know, to be that guy who runs <laughs> off screens. And, and sure enough, I ended up being 6'6". So, you know, I had the size to do it. Really modeled my game after running off screens, sprinting to spots and being able to hit shots. So those two guys right there, that, that was my blueprint. And I actually was fortunate enough to, to gain Kyle Korver as a mentor. And as a player, I would touch base with him, you know, a couple times a year and just get his thoughts and his advice was always awesome and really, really productive conversations I had with him. So those two guys for sure. So excluding yourself, who do you consider the greatest shooter of all time? <laughs> yeah, because as a shooter, you always got to say yourself. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think based on the numbers, it's hard to debate that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Steph. Um, I believe it would be Steph, but um, Clay's got an argument there as well. Those two. And the fact that they're on the same team is pretty incredible. But those two, I would, I would say, are the number one and number two, at least at the NBA level. So Adam Silver is making you commissioner for the day. What is one thing you're going to do? Well, nowadays I'm going to say, I guess in, increase the pay of the video guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just selfishly. No, but uh, I, I got a good one, actually. I got a good one. Um, bring back uh, Seattle as, as a franchise. Ooh. I think that'd be cool. I think that's a great city. Um, and I think the, the Sonics were uh, really successful. And I, I, like I said, I used to study Ray Allen. So that was when I was, I wasn't super, super into watching NBA, but I was definitely had my eye on that. And it seemed like a great city that could support a team. And I, I think it'd be cool to bring back the Sonics or some iteration of a, a Seattle pro team. So, with the NBA restart, what do you think is going to be the biggest obstacle besides virus concerns? Returning to, to um, you know, NBA fitness. Guys, who, you know, even if they've been playing, they haven't been playing at, a, I'm sure, at the level that is required of the NBA. And, uh, you know, hopefully you, you mitigate risk of inj- injury of guys who aren't. Because the NBA season is such a rev up. And vets who have done it for so long, like, they know how to pace themselves and they know, you know, when they need to push, and they know when they need to, you know, take a day off and rest. And, and I think just getting back into the physical fitness that is required to be an NBA player is going to be something that teams have to take very carefully and be very cautious about. All right, and in your prime, who is the best person you think you could beat in a shooting contest other than Shaq? 
in my prime. I feel like I'm still in my prime. Okay. Uh, uh, ooh, I'm <laughs> okay. The, the pride's there. But, uh, I mean, who's the best person? I mean, Anthony Morrow and I, that was a guy I worked out with every summer. He and I, uh, we'd go toe-to-toe every day, and I definitely got my fair share of wins against him. Now, I, I, had to, I had the chance to work out with Steph one time, but we didn't do any shooting contests. But uh, Anthony Morrow, I would say, I mean, he beat me quite a bit, but I, I definitely beat him quite a bit as well. So we had um, incredible battles, and I think that helped me become the, be- the be- me become the best player I could be. And I, I definitely like to think I helped push him as well, even though he was already really established at that point. But he always talks about our battles and, you know, how grateful he was to be able to do that. So he's a, he's definitely a guy I hasn't battled with. They were pretty incredible. All right, Max, that's all we got. We appreciate you taking the time uh, to come and hop on the podcast and do a quick interview with us. Definitely. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. And it was, uh, I'm always down to talk some hoops, so it was a pleasure, uh, it was a pleasure connecting with you.